we have been observing either consciously or unconsciously the training and the development of the 12 disciples. Their progress in faith and understanding has been slow but deliberate. Last week, we saw that Jesus characterized the disciples as having little faith. But Jesus, aware of this, said, Oh, you of little faith. However, the light was beginning to dawn for the disciples. And the last verse that we looked at last week was verse 12 of chapter 16. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They began to understand more of what Jesus was saying. Their faith was developing, growing, maturing, if you will. Back in Matthew chapter 14, we read a wonderful statement that came as the disciples welcomed Jesus into their boat after he walked on the water. In Matthew 14, it said, And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Today, our next page is going to be turned in that understanding that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Today is a time for a pop quiz. Whenever there's a time of learning, it's always good to have a quiz. And today is the quiz for the disciples, for them to better understand their ministry and their beliefs. So here's the quiz. It consists only of two questions. The first question is, who do people think that I am? Verse 13. Now when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? is. What is the impact of our ministry? How should we evaluate the understanding of the crowds? What have the people come to understand after the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000, all the miracles, all the signs? Tell me, what are the people saying? What do they think? How do they look at me? What is their understanding of who I am, what I am about? Well, they had a good understanding of their culture. Notice the disciples respond, verse 14. They said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And that is not exhaustive by any means. They said, they think that you are a great prophet. Probably a prophet from the past. Probably somebody resurrected from the dead because of the miracles that you are performing. They look at you as a good teacher. But now Jesus asks a more pointed question. Enough about the crowds because that's not really what he's concerned about at this point. He's concerned about the 12. And so he says to them, but who do you say that I am? That's the crowds, and you get what they're, where they're at, but, but what about you? What about you? You've been with me now this extended period of time. You've seen the miracles. You've experienced these things. You've heard me teach 
Who do you think I am? Verse 16. Peter alone responds. Notice in verse 14, they said, they participated. Now, most of the 12 are silent. How do we answer this? Who do you say I am? So Simon becomes their spokesman. Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter gets an A. He nails it. He's right on. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. A wonderful declaration. Similar to what already had been said back in Matthew 14, 33. You are the Son of God. Jesus says that Simon is blessed. He stands in a state of blessedness. Verse 17, Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. You don't realize how fortunate you are. Simon stands in a state of blessing due to the Father having revealed the truth to him. The end of verse 17, For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Simon, you don't realize what a blessing it is. What distinguishes you from the crowd is the work of the Father in your life. You get it because of the work of the Father. So much more could be said about that, but I'm going to move on. Jesus then informs Simon that he is a rock, verse 18. And I tell you, you are Peter. The word Peter means rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. This is teaching us that Christ will build his church founded upon Peter. I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. I'd like to read a quote to you from Holman's New Testament Bible commentary on Matthew, and it reads as follows, and I quote, Jesus' words presented a deliberate wordplay in the text, and it is probably the most controversial statement in Matthew. You are Peter, Greek Petros, rock. And on this rock, Greek Petra, I will build my church. Upon this statement, the Roman Catholic Church has based its doctrine of Peter being appointed the first in a long line of popes. Jesus' statement of Peter's authority in the next verse provides the basis for the Roman Catholic Church's erroneous teachings regarding the authority of the papal office. End quote. This is not an establishment of the papacy. However, again, let me read from Holman's New Testament commentary, and I quote, And equally in error, many Protestants have reacted against the Roman Catholic interpretation by going to the other extreme, allowing the rock Petra to mean anything but Peter himself, end quote. I think that's a good statement. Many evangelicals try to say that what is the rock in this verse is not Peter, but Peter's statement. The rock is, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, and he's going to build his church based on that statement. I believe that that's erroneous. It is Peter that's being referred to. Peter, you are a rock, and on this rock I will build my church. Jesus is revealing that Peter is going to be an important vessel in building the church. 
I don't know why that's so controversial. Peter is going to be an important vessel first in helping the other disciples. Just prior to the crucifixion, Jesus is speaking to Peter and said, Simon, Simon, Satan desires to have you that he may sift you like wheat. And I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Of course, Peter's going to deny the Lord three times. But Peter is going to be repentant. He's going to be strengthened. And so it says in Luke 22, 32, And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. When you have turned again, strengthen the other disciples. Peter, you're going to deny me. The other disciples deny Jesus as well. And he said, Peter, when you're strengthened, then I want you to strengthen the other disciples. Peter is going to be an important vessel in feeding the people of God after the resurrection. If you remember, Jesus appears to the disciples after they had been out fishing. They gathered a net full of fish. They come to the shore. They eat with Jesus. And then he takes Peter aside and says this. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. He said, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Jesus entrusted a very special responsibility to Peter. Peter is going to be an important vessel on the day of Pentecost. Acts 2.14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. He is the one who declares what is taking place on the day of Pentecost. The eleven are standing with him, but Peter is the spokesperson. Peter is going to be used greatly of God. And that's what this verse is saying. Peter is going to be used greatly of God. But Peter's not the only one that's going to be used of God. He's not even the only rock. Ephesians makes it clear that the apostles are stones upon which the church is built. Ephesians 2, 19, 20. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members and household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Christ being the chief cornerstone, but built upon the apostles and built upon the prophets. After Acts chapter 12, Paul becomes the most prominent spokesperson for the gospel. However, there are many, many stones, as there are many individuals down through the ages that God has used in very demonstrable ways to further his kingdom and to establish his church. Peter himself refers to other believers as living stones. Like newborn babes, Long for the pure milk of the word that you may grow in respect to salvation. If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord and coming to him as a living stone rejected by men, but choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones are built up as a spiritual house for royal priesthood. So others 
are part of this building of the church. So we are to see that Peter is going to be instrumental. Not the only one, but he's very instrumental in the establishment of the church. Jesus then bestows authority upon Peter, Matthew 16, 19. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. What are we to understand by that? Again, let me quote from Holman's. I quote, Jesus declared that to Peter and the disciples, he would give the keys of the kingdom of heaven. It is likely that Jesus was referring to the keys commonly held by the scribes as a symbol of their teaching function. They were the teachers of scripture. In this sense, Jesus was appointing the disciples as the initial teachers in the church. I think that's a correct interpretation. Luke chapter 11, verse 52. Listen to these words. Woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. Knowledge there seen as a fortress, and they had the key to it. They had a key by which people could enter, and they failed. They failed. Peter has the key. He has the gospel. He has the message. Buy it, people enter, and of course if they reject it, they fail to enter. Now all of that actually this morning is a lead up to my main point. A lot of good stuff there to be sure, but just like last week, to cover a large portion of scripture, I can't deal with everything in detail, and I want to look at the next verse because it's a curious verse. Verse 20. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Now notice the context. Notice the context. Who do people say that I am? Some say you are John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, the prophets. But who do you say that I am? Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Blessed art thou, Simon Bar, Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I will give to, give to thee the keys of the kingdom. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shalt thou, thou shalt loose in heaven. You would think the next statement would be, then go out and tell these people, I'm the Christ. They've got it wrong. They think that I'm John the Baptist, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Peter says, you're the Christ. And then he says, strictly charges them. Be careful. I want you to know, don't you dare tell people that I am the Christ. Why in the world would Jesus say to Peter and to the other disciples, don't you dare tell people that I am the Christ. Why? Why would he say that? The answer comes in the ensuing verses. And usually, you know, we read in sections and we stop there. But I want to look at the next section for it answers that question. And it sheds light on all of those verses that precede. 
Why not? The time was not right. All that Jesus was referring to was yet future. Why wasn't the time right to tell people that Jesus was the Christ? Three reasons. Three reasons. The first reason the time was not ready for the disciples to reveal that Jesus was the Christ was because of their lack of understanding as to what that meant. They were not ready to share who Christ was because they didn't understand who Christ was. The disciples were making great progress. He said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter made a wonderful declaration. However, the disciples had much to learn concerning the role of the Messiah. Notice verse 21. From that time, from that time, it's pointing to the declaration of Peter that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. From that time, Jesus, notice these words, began to show his disciples. He begins to unpack this. doesn't happen all at once. He began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, that he must suffer many things from the elders and chief priests, that he must be killed, and that on the third day he'd be raised. They're not going to learn that overnight. It says he began to show this to his disciples. If the disciples would have, from that moment, of which Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. If they would have gone out at that moment to tell the crowds who Christ was, they would have blown it. They would have shared falsehood, not truth. They would have been purveyors of false doctrine rather than real doctrine. Peter didn't know what he was saying. He knew partly what he was saying. But he didn't really understand who Christ was and what he was about. Now, lest you think I've gone to an extreme or overboard, notice verse 22. Then Peter took him, that's Jesus aside, And to rebuke him, saying, Far from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. You're not going to suffer. You're not going to die. His concept of the Christ was a deliverer. Someone that would just take away all their problems, all their issues... His understanding of Christ was like that of the general populace that Christ had come to deliver them from the Roman Empire. He didn't get that Jesus had to suffer, that he had to die, and we know that they didn't get the resurrection until after it happened. They weren't ready to share that Jesus was the Christ, 
because they really didn't understand that Jesus was the Christ. Why is this important to understand? Because oftentimes in people's zeal, they run ahead of themselves. People want to proclaim Christ before they understand who Christ is and what he did. And it results in a lot of false teaching and a lot of error. And I'm very concerned about the day and age in which we live because we're getting to be more and more concerned about zeal and less and less concerned about understanding. We love sending novices off to the mission field. who aren't trained, who aren't developed. Now, unfortunately, this goes along with uh, by just praying for Ben. I'm not talking about Ben. I'm glad he's going, okay? I'm talking about full-time career missionaries. I'm talking about people who are dedicating their life now to share the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ without taking the time to prepare, without taking the time to study without taking the time to, to really get to understand the scriptures. Out of a, a zeal, out of a desire to go and tell others, but what do they say? What are they communicating? What is their understanding? All good intention, but it can end up in error. Secondly, the time was not right for the disciples to reveal that Jesus was the Christ because of their lack of spiritual maturity. Because of their lack of spiritual maturity. The first was spiritual understanding. The second is spiritual maturity. There's a difference between understanding and maturity. There's knowledge, and then there's the application of that knowledge. Knowledge is just the first part. Then one needs to learn how to apply that knowledge. The disciples were growing in their knowledge. Now they had to grow in their spiritual maturity. They were learning more about Jesus and who he was. Now they had to learn the realities of who Jesus was and what that meant to that in their own personal life. A lack of spiritual maturity is seen in the incongruity between what people profess and what people do. Let me say that again. A lack of spiritual maturity is seen in the incongruity, in the inconsistency between what people profess and how people behave. People profess one thing but live entirely different lives from what they profess. We can't have that. The person who's proclaiming the good news of Lord Jesus Christ has to live a life that is consistent with what they are professing. Notice the incongruity in this passage, the lack of spiritual maturity on the part of Peter. Peter professes 
that, first of all, Jesus is the Christ. Secondly, that Jesus is the Son of God. Thirdly, that Jesus is Lord. Those are the professions of Peter. This is what he says he believes about Jesus. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And in verse 22, he refers to him as Lord. Notice Matthew 16, 22. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Now, think about this for a moment. Think about this. Peter, who do you think I am? You are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. You are my Lord. Jesus said, you got it. That's good. That's good. Flesh and blood did not reveal that unto you. My Father who is in heaven, he revealed that unto you. That's good. Okay? Now, now let me tell you what's going to happen. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. And there, I'm going to be rejected. I'm, I'm going to be I'm going to be persecuted by the religious leaders. And they're going to kill me. And then I'm going to rise again. Peter says, come over here for a minute. Let me, let me talk to you privately. It's away from the other disciples. He said, Jesus, that's never going to happen to you. You're not going to do that, Jesus. Get with the program. Get up to date. That's not going to happen. Peter's talking to the Son of God. He's talking to the one he says is my Lord. But has no problem rebuking him. No problem correcting him. No problem in setting him straight. And no problem in denying everything that Jesus just said. That's incongruity. That's spiritual immaturity. That's when we profess one thing and live a life that is totally contradictory to that. It takes maturity to see inconsistency in life. To see how often it is that it's so easy to give the right answer, but so difficult to live the right way. You can learn the right answers pretty quickly. You can learn, you can teach a five year old by rote to say who is the Christ. He's the son of the living God. But to really understand that, to really develop it, to really live that way, and to accept it, that's a whole other story. So Jesus says, not yet. Not yet. Don't you dare go and tell people that I'm the Christ, because you don't get it. You don't get it. You don't understand it well enough. And even what you do understand, you don't have the maturity to deal with. Peter wasn't ready 
to die, that's for sure. He wasn't ready for Jesus to die. Well, what's going to happen? Peter's going to develop, Peter's going to mature, and Peter's going to be that rock. But it's yet future. There's a world of difference between potential and fruition. Let's be careful with people that have a tremendous amount of potential. Don't throw them into situations where they're not ready for. There is nothing belittling to say to someone who has a tremendous amount of zeal, you still got more to learn. There is nothing belittling for someone who has a tremendous amount of zeal to say, there's room for maturation, there's room for maturity, there's room for growth. To really be able to put these things together in a meaningful way. Lack of maturity is seen in Peter's value system. Notice verse 23. But he that is Jesus, no, yes, but he that is Jesus turned to Peter. He said, get thee behind me, Satan. Wow. He just had said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. Now he says, get thee behind me, Satan. Why? You're a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Peter was prizing what the world prizes, not what God prizes. So here is one upon whom Jesus is going to build his church, and he's doing the work of the evil one and discouraging Christ from fulfilling his duty. It is amazing how spiritually immature individuals in their zeal often discourage Christians from their real duty in following Christ. In their zeal, they want to see Christians become more active. They want to see them become more fertile. There's nothing wrong with that. But the question is, what is the activity? What is the fertility? It's not just in the excitement. It's not just in the hoopla. Jesus wanted his disciples stop and think. Think about this, people. I have just performed these miracles. I have just fed these multitudes. And what do they say about me? They say you're Jeremiah. They say you were John the Baptist. They didn't get it. Jesus is saying, understand, these crowds are lost. These crowds are going to be damned. It's not about the crowds. It's not about the miracles. It's not about the hoopla. It's not about the excitement. Understand what this is about. It's about me being rejected, killed, and resurrected. No, no, Jesus. It's not about that. It's not about that. It is about that. So many times, immature Christians are so excited about the crowds, so excited about the hoopla, so excited about everything that's taking place, and failing to understand that the people aren't 
really getting it. They aren't really growing. They aren't really developing. They aren't really becoming the people of God that they ought to be. Great zeal, great desire, but it's misplaced. Third reason that the time had not yet come to declare that Jesus Christ was the that Jesus was the Christ is because of the purpose of God. The purpose of God. It was not yet time in the wisdom and in the prudence of God the Father for the masses to come to believe in Jesus. Let me say that again. In the prudence and wisdom of God the Father, it was not time for the masses to come to believe that Jesus was the Christ. You might say, well, why in the world would that be? Why wouldn't God want everyone at every time to come to believe that Jesus is the Christ? Turn with me, if you would, keep your finger here, to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 6. I want you to see this in, in writing. Keep your finger there at Matthew 16. And let me start with Matthew 16. Look at verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he, that is Jesus, must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed and raised the third day. That's, that's what I've got to do. That's the will of God the Father. That's what's got to take place. Now, Look at 1 Corinthians 2, verse 6. Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom, which God predestined before the ages to our glory. Verse 8, key words. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood, for if they had understood it, notice the next statement they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. If the rulers would have understood who Jesus really was, they never would have put him to death. If the rulers really understood that he was the Christ, the Son of the living God, the ministry of Jesus would not have been fulfilled. He said, I must go and I must be rejected I must suffer, I must die, and I will rise again. If the rulers would have understood, Paul says, they never would have crucified the Lord of glory. There never would have been that inconsistency, that incongruity, if they would have gotten it. But they didn't. Why? Because in the sovereign plan and will of God, it wasn't ready. The time was not right. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem them that were under the law. We could also say, in the fullness of the time, God sent forth his son to be 
crucified. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son to be raised from the dead. In the fullness of time, God will send forth his son again to return. It wasn't time for the masses to believe. It was the time for Jesus to suffer and die. But we, in our human wisdom, find it difficult that God would ever say, it's not the time. It's not the time. Don't you tell them about Christ. Now, we live in a different period. We live in a different age. Obviously, Christ has risen from the dead. Jesus says to his disciples, go into all the world. Now's the time, guys. Now go. Now tell them. Now you understand. Now you know who, who I am. Now you know the gospel. Now you know I've risen from the dead. Now you know. Now you know. Now you know. Now you go. Now you go. Now you go. But as you go, know that it's God the Father, through the Holy Spirit, who's going to make converts. Blessed are you, Simon Jonah, for flesh and blood is not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. My Father which is in heaven. There are mysteries that are difficult to explain, but mysteries that we need to uphold. Mysteries that we need to uphold. He said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I'm going to be successful. And in this imagery, there are gates in the front of hell. Not to keep people in, to keep the saints out. And the idea is that when the saints go marching in, the very gates can't prevent the gospel from going. The gates cannot prevent the gospel from going. The gates cannot prevent the gospel from going. The gates cannot prevent the gospel from going. We don't need to worry about gates. We can't prevent the gospel. We don't have to worry about persecution. We don't have to worry about Supreme Court decisions. We don't have to worry about what our government's doing. We don't have to worry about anything. I will build my church. I will save my people. I will get it done. I will get it done. Just listen to me, he says to Peter. Just listen to me. There are closed places. There are places that God sovereignly has chosen to close. Let them be closed. And there are places that God has opened. Let us go to those places and spread the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. The question is, what is a sovereign God doing? And then do it. Rather than, in our zeal, the lack of knowledge and lack of maturity, telling God, where we should go, what we should do, and how to do it.
praying and telling God, open this place, close this place, send this person, don't send that person, do this, do that. Jesus, the Son of God, come over here and let me tell you what you ought to do. Let me tell you what's going on in the United States. Let me help you out here. We're getting behind, God. It's incongruous. It's incongruous. We profess one thing, and we live in a different way. Jesus is Christ, the Savior, the Deliverer. He's the Son of God. Let us just be faithful to him, declaring as he gives opportunity, as he gives ability, as he gives maturity, as he gives training to proclaim the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, I'm out of time, but let me wrap this up with just a couple of thoughts. A couple of thoughts. First, there are going to be, there always have been, there always will be people that are used uniquely by God. There's nothing untoward in this passage. Peter, Jesus is saying to Peter, Peter, I'm going to use you in a unique way. Your name's Peter, and I'm going to build, I'm going to build my church on you and people like you. People with tremendous amount of potential that still need a lot of time to grow and understand and so on. Peter, you're a rock. He stands out among the other apostles. Then then Paul comes along. He overshadows the other apostles. The apostles play an important role. Peter plays a very important role. Paul plays a very important role. There are unique instruments of God. Down through the ages, you can think of people like Martin Luther, John Calvin, Charles Spurgeon, Billy Graham. There are unique choice vessels that God raises up. Praise the Lord for these people. Thank the Lord for these people. Understand how a sovereign God works. He uses people. And some of them he uses in incredible ways. Then there are people that he uses in less credible ways. The multitudes. The people who are teaching Sunday school. The people who are faithfully preaching the word. The the people who are talking to their next door neighbor. The people who are going overseas to tell others about the Lord Jesus Christ who are being faithful to what God has given them to do. And we'll hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Being satisfied where God places us in his church and in his kingdom. Just being prepared and ready and willing to be used in that way. A lack of understanding and a lack of spiritual maturity calls everyone to be a Peter. People were not all Peters. God raised up Peter. 
And God will raise up his people. The harvest is right unto harvest. Therefore, pray ye the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into the harvest. That's not about us drumming up business. About us motivating people to go. About coming up with a methodology that's going to incite or infuse or just flame a future generation to get out there and serve Christ. The answer is for God to raise up the Peters, the Pauls, the Spurgeons, the Billy Grahams, and the Sunday school teachers, and the pastors, and the missionaries, and the people to knock on their next door neighbor. Let us think more carefully, more diligently, about what we profess, because it's great. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Now, what does that really mean to us on a daily basis? Let's not pull him aside and try to set him straight. Let us listen carefully to what he tells us. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for Jesus, who is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Lord, help us, help us, as we profess that you are our Savior, that we profess that you are our Lord, that we say we worship you. Lord, may our lives reflect what we say. Help us to recognize all the areas in which you really aren't our Lord, Help us to identify, help us to stop and think about what we really know is displeasing to you today that's in our life, that we have not surrendered, that we have not given over, that we have not rejected. Help us to think about what displeases you when we call you Lord. Lord, when we don't like what the Bible says, or we have our own agenda as what should be done. Lord, help us to remember that you are God and we are not. Help us to profess not only that you are all wise, but live our life like you are all wise, all knowing. Lord, give us the humility, if we can use such a word, in thinking about the vast difference between you and ourselves to simply realize you are God and we are not. And may we live our life more and more like you are God and like we are not. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.